Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out, and it's also hashtag FOF, or F-O-F, Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week-to-week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. So welcome to Week to Week, the political roundtable from the Commonwealth Club of California from Monday, August 8th, 2016. Last week, I don't know if you heard, uh, late night host Seth Meyers took stock of Donald Trump's fortunes and the arguments about whether or not he would debate Hillary Clinton. And he said, quote, if for some reason Trump actually does debate Hillary, she should just say, hi, I'm Hillary Clinton. Then she should turn off her microphone, eat a bag of chips, and watch him slowly unravel. So <laughs> we'll see if she takes his advice. In the meantime, thanks for coming out tonight here in San Francisco. Not I'm John Zipper, your host for Week to Week and the Commonwealth Club's Vice President of Media and Editorial. Now, on today's program, we're going to discuss, of course, the presidential election, the latest now that we're in the general election phase. We're also going to look at some local mayors who are facing recalls, as well as some other local politics. We'll look at lies, damn lies, and campaign lies and of course other political news. As always, I like to note that we have a wide variety of views among the Commonwealth Club uh, family here, so any views that are expressed here are those only of the speakers and not of the Commonwealth Club. Now let's meet our panelists for today. I'm going to start on the far end of the stage there with Chuck Nevius, C.W. Nevius. He's a columnist at the San Francisco Chronicle. He's on Twitter. Thank you. (laughs) I know you'd rather be at the Guns N' Roses concert. Come on. (laughs) Uh, he's on Twitter, by the way, at C.W. Nevius. And next to him is Melissa Kane, a political analyst with CBS San Francisco. She's also... <laughs> you can also read her on sfgate.com. She's on Twitter at Melissa Kane one And by the way, you can also catch her next Thursday. Uh, is that correct? You'll be moderating our program with Will Durst. Moderating Will Durst is not a thing <laughs> that's possible. I'll, I'll be here kind of with him. <laughs> She'll be on the same stage with Will Durst. We call it oxymoron, I think. And next to me is Carson Bruno, a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. He's on Twitter at Carson J.F. Bruno. Thank you. So there are question cards throughout the room. I think most of you know how we do it. Uh, If you have some questions for our panelists, write them down. We'll collect them, and I will try to ask as many as possible during our program today. Now, before we get to the roundtable discussion, I, again, want to thank you all coming out here for our special U.S. Constitution Appreciation Day. (laughs) We've handed out about 150 of these. If you did not get one, we should be able to get you one as we head out. But I want to ask a favor. I want to get a photo of you holding up your constitution. I want a photo of our bipartisan audience holding up their constitution. There we so go. If you could do that. Grab mine. Let's get a photo. I know some of you have brought your own. <laughs> oh, this is fabulous. Perfect. Good job, guys. Very nice. Where are you at, Carson? My phone's in, my phone's in the audience. Wow. Beautiful. 
We'll, we'll text it to you. We'll post it on Twitter and Facebook <laughs> and everywhere else that will let us. Um, thank you. Um, so let's move on to our roundtable. Um, we're going to start with the presidential race and uh, probably two of the most interesting race uh, <laughs> weeks we've had in what is a very interesting race since the uh, convention ended. Um, and I want to start with Melissa. You actually were at the conventions. So let's start off by telling us what was like, what did we not see when we were watching it on TV or oh, reading it about it? So much, so much. It's hard to convey the kind of uh, energy and excitement that you felt in the room when you're watching, you know, C-SPAN or somebody, someplace that's sort of showing the speaker and then maybe a couple of faces in the audience. Um, so many interesting stories. So um, when I go to, I went to the 2012 conventions as well. And when you go, I find the best people to talk to are bartenders, taxi drivers. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and security guards. They tend to have the, the most interesting stories. So uh, in Cleveland, of course, my husband and I were there uh, a couple days early and we were chatting. Apparently, uh, the, some people were, had been arrested uh, at the convention center. And mind you, the cent there's the, the center and then there's sort of this green zone and then a fence and barbed wire and tanks. I'm kidding. But it's basically, <laughs> it's basically really like scary, like prison looking thing that they set up outside of these convention centers. So I, I want, that's an important part of the story because what the man told me is that they had arrested a couple of people because for whatever reason, Pokemon Go was saying there were Pokemon <laughs> in there. <laughs> and they were like, they're up at the fence like, no, I have to get in. And the security guard's like, sir, there's clearly, this is clearly like a secure zone. Like, no, no, no. So uh, there was a Pokemon Go arrest, just FYI. Uh, so that was the first sign that like things are definitely a little weird. Um, security was in Insane. They would take any and everything. I was just saying backstage um, that, you know, God bless those code pink ladies because I don't know how in the world I got hairspray taken away from me. I got so much stuff taken away. I don't know how they snuck in every single time. Uh, they're amazing. Uh, the security was manned by Secret Service, not your, you know, your TSA folks. These were like humorless robotic Secret Service people who were not trying to hear your pleas about like how this humidity is ruining your hair and you really need this hairspray. <laughs> like they were not at all interested. Uh, the the food was, and I'm just trying to think of like what's the atmosphere there. The food was really interesting because at the, not interesting, it was kind of what you would expect in Cleveland. The food is is bratwurst and you know, roast beef. I'm a veg, I'm a San Francisco vegetarian, you know, like who's, who's trying to stay away from carbs, but I don't know. So I get there and it's just, you know, it's all, you know, just really, uh, you know, a lot of meat, a lot of deep fried stuff. And then of course you get to the Democratic convention and the first thing you see when you walk in is the concession stand area and there's a big sign that says gluten-free zone. <laughs> <laughs> Lest you forget which convention you're at, you're like, ah, oh, yes, I would be at the Democrats right now. Uh, the at, being at the conventions is interesting. It's like nerd celebrities everywhere. There's, you know, there's like Wolf Blitzer and David Brooks and uh, you know Greta Von Susteren, and you're walking down the halls trying to be cool, right? Because you're in the media area, you're supposed to be as cool as they are, so you can't sort of be like, sign my autograph book. <laughs> so it was really hard to keep it together. Uh, the one person I totally flipped out for is someone that you guys might know. I don't know, it's a pretty nerdy audience. I don't know if anyone knows Ken Rudin, who does the Political Junkie podcast. Mm -hmm. Ah, 
I love it. This I love is you guys. Great audience. Yeah. He was the one person I like accosted and like was like, I love you. I'm wearing your shirt. You know, like <laughs> it was. I do. Ha I was wearing a political junkie shirt. So um, he was the one, the one person there that you know I I, I could not resist. Um, but it was. I will tell you a couple of, of overarching things. Number one, the Republicans, as much as they hate the lamestream media, and actively booed us several times. You'd sort of be sitting there doing whatever you're doing, and then just booze at the media. You're like, okay. Um, they were really nice people to talk to, actually. When you went up to them after, you know, sort of things were over, even with the San Francisco, you know, media credential, which I thought, oh boy, I'm really gonna need to be on my guard here. Um, they were really nice and really accessible, um, despite again, sort of the, the the sort of the idea that they generally they don't they don't like the media, but specifically they were pretty nice. Um, California was front and center at both of them. I will tell you, we were totally re well represented, and it's not just because we were big. Like Texas is big too, but they were not. Uh, in the way that we were. Because remember, at the Republican convention, Texas is the cruise, <laughs> our cruise supporters. Uh, and at the Democratic convention, well, you know, it's Texas <laughs> at a Democratic convention. So, uh, so because California went so strongly for Trump, they were literally front row at the Republican one. And because of, you know, us being who we are, we were uh, all the bells of the ball at the a democratic convention. So it was a really cool place to be uh, to be a Californian. Um, the last thing I will say is that in the media sort of gulch where we were sitting, we were next to, because we were, I was with CBS, they were next to the, uh, the Colbert people. And... <laughs> They were so much fun. One night during during Trump's acceptance speech, during, they on Facebook they Facebook Live did. You can check this on face on Facebook. They did a Facebook Live thing where they filmed the speech. They didn't film Trump. They filmed the uh, like the jumbotron, <laughs> but in front of the jumbotron, like sort of filmed it through a stack of old hamburgers <laughs> that they sat there and just squeezed mustard onto. <laughs> so you just they're hearing Trump, you see the jumbo time with Trump, and right up close is like this, these hamburgers with just like dripping mustard all over. And this is like right next to me. This is, I'm like looking right, this is the hamburgers, and I'm like, this is a very, very strange time. I can tell you this, so yeah, lots of weird stuff. Now, I don't know how many of you know, but uh, Chuck Nevius used to be a sports reporter before he got into I the columnist biz. Um, and this must have been something kind of like when you would go off and cover Olympics, which is, of course, certainly in the news today. We were just, we were just comparing notes. The, you know, I went to eight Olympics all over the world, and it's the same kind of thing where you have this sense of you're up until late at night, you're up early in the morning, it's go, 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 and every single day there's something that would be a terrific story, but you really don't have time to look at it because something else is about to happen. So it really reminded me of, of that sense of, of what was going on. I mean, I, I, the two conventions were just so radically different. I, I'm, I'm fast. What's Trump's wife's name, Melania? Mm -hmm. Did you see the, twi the tweet after the plagiarism thing where it, it said, uh, the coldest winter I ever spent was summer in San Francisco, Melania Trump. It just lent itself so easily to... Yeah. But here's, here's the thing, though. I will tell you, in the convention hall, nobody cared. Like there was, so after the speech, the Twitter went crazy, okay. and the next morning we were in at 6 a.m. and we're all sort of, you know, bleary-eyed and trying to get ready to be on camera, and we're looking at the tweets from the night before and, and finally seeing what's happening. Um, but the day comes and goes, and the 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 people inside the room were totally unfazed. They were unfazed by that. They were unfazed by the the Ted Cruz folks. Like they were. 
things that are happening that are a big deal outside of the convention, inside, it did nothing to quell the total excitement that these folks have for their candidates. And that's the same for the Democrats as well. I mean, like, even though you had the Bernie Sanders folks yelling and other, you know, other issues there with the DNC emails, um, for the folks inside the room, it was the 4th of July. Like, they were excited. <laughs> they were dancing. They were, you know, it, it was... It was interesting to see what people outside the convention cared about and what people in the room cared about. And I can tell you, it did not diminish their enthusiasm one bit. They were like, whatever, we don't care if she reads the, the Constitution. <laughs> like, it's fine. We, we can help her with that. Carson, it, it's, of course, not just the conventions, but it's then mm -hmm. what they do coming out of the convention. And I don't mean to necessarily just to talk about Trump's kind of bad week, but... Um, <laughs> Kind How of. did they did did they both come out stronger <clears throat> from the convention itself? Did the convention unify their parties and and obviously they got the job done of nominating and, and yeah. putting out a ticket? Well, you know, what, what is the point of the convention? I mean, I, I went to the 2012 uh, RNC, um, and I think again what Melissa was saying, what the delegates are seeing, what the guests are seeing, what the people are seeing is very different from what the the mass masses are seeing. The, the people watching it on cable news, watching it on the networks, uh, it's a very very different um, stage that they're seeing. But the the whole point is to try to convey something to all those all those potential voters out there because it really is the kickoff to the presidential uh, calendar season. Um, so what is the point? It's to minimize your weaknesses and and re-energize your strengths. And um, it's something that I think the Democrats did very very well. They showed. Um, the whole big question for the Democrats were, will the Bernie people kind of come in and support her? Will there be unity coming out of it? Um, can they humanize her? Can they kind of do X, Y, and Z? And I, I think that they really accomplished those goals uh, with not only with what you saw inside the convention hall, but also then what you saw in prime time. They humanized her. They showed unity. They had excellent speeches by you know, President Clinton and President Obama and First Lady and you know, X, Y, and Z. I mean, it, it was all very well done choreographed in, in a way to kind of really try to take every momentum that they possibly could out of it. And you've seen it. I mean, you've seen it. Um, you know, a lot of what you're seeing in the polls are because of Trump just being himself, um, <laughs> which leads me into the, the next point. You know, the Republicans, what, <laughs> what was going on there? Their prime time was completely messed up all the entire, I think every single night. Um, they had the, the speech and then some of the most substantive kind of really strong people came after these fluff speeches uh, that really, they could have really shown kind of what the Republican Party was supposed to stand for, but uh, really missed the boat on that one. Again, there was a concern about unity coming out of the convention, trying to get Republicans to rally behind Trump. Uh, Cruz shot that, you know, shot, shot that away immediately. Um, which you know, there's there's a lot of significant concern there amongst Republicans uh, to this day, and you're seeing it in the polls still. Uh, Democrats are starting to coalesce around Hillary Clinton, uh, where Republicans really aren't, and that's a portion of what's happening in the polling right now too. You know, it's a crazy thing though. Hillary Clinton must be thanking the gods uh, for the Trump phenomenon, because otherwise this would be a dead heat, if not an underdog situation for Hillary though. Clinton, um, if it was any of a number of other Republicans. But because you have Trump that's, you know, what, he's 60, what is he down? He's down seven points now, but his unfavorability is, you know, beat Clinton's by, you know, 15 points, you know, and he's, 
and in the mid-30s in the four-way head-to-head polls, he's now losing states according to the 538 projections. Um, you know, he's, if the election was held today, he'd lose Georgia, South Carolina, New, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, North Carolina, and Arizona. You're like, wow. <laughs> Those are swings. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, and... But if you look at just, just, just at looking at Clinton's numbers, they're not fantastic. And if she's not really winning this race by this margin because, of, uh, because she's a strong candidate. Right. Uh, she's running, winning this race by such a strong margin and such, I mean, it, it should be a sweep uh, because Trump is just a terrible person and a terrible <laughs> candidate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, go ahead. It's, 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 it's hard to sugarcoat at this point. <laughs> The only, th- the, only thing I would, the only thing I would say to the Democratic convention is I think the one problem with, with Hillary is trying to decide who she really is. And she literally embraced Barack Obama. She was, she was kind of like the aunt we always had at the family reunion that wouldn't let go of you, you know, when you were like 12 years old and kind of got you in a headlock. And, but then her husband got on the stage and said she's an agent of change. Well, are you continuing the Obama mm-hmm. administration or are you an agent of change? And Trump said today, she, said, she seems like a, a candidate from the past. And I think she has to, she has to fight that. It, was, it went off like clockwork. That's great. Yeah. But I do think she's going to have to define herself and not just be the person who responds to whatever the, the, the event of the day is. And, and you mentioned Trump today. Trump gave a speech today. It was his big economic speech. Uh, he was speaking in Detroit at the Detroit Economic Club or something because he's afraid to come to the Commonwealth Club. <laughs> Just putting that out there. You hear as, that, Donald? As he should be. Yes. Um, oh yes, we've invited him. We'll, we're an equal part, equal opportunity forum. Um, but uh, Carson's what... going to moderate that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I need my bulletproof vest for that one. Carson hashtag Never Trump. Yeah. Bruno. yeah. <laughs> uh, but actually, so what did you did you catch any of his speech, and, and what did you think of it? Well, Melissa, you're, you're probably best to do it, but it was substantial. It was, the thing I think that he has going for him is simple answers. I mean, they may not be workable answers, but they're simple answers. Mm-hmm. He's got three tax codes. That's going to be it. It's going to be 33, 23, and what is it, 12, whatever it is. Done. Okay, we got the tax code solved, you know? And for, for the average voter, they may look at that and say, that makes a lot of sense. Let's Let's do that instead of this complicated, what, I don't understand how the taxes work. So he is working that. And we've underestimated, underestimated him for nine months. Yeah. We shouldn't start now. No. He, he also, though, did tie, of course, Hillary Clinton to Bill Clinton's NAFTA signature. And he also talked about Hillary Clinton as a senator and the job losses that happened in New York while she was a senator representing the state. He sort of talked about her promises versus what actually happened. He referenced a a Wall Street Journal article out today. Um, And so he did actually, you know, to that degree, you know, make some decent headway. It felt like, oh, well, finally, we're going to have people actually, you know, sort of meeting head to head on certain issues. he was interrupted oh, more than a dozen times by people in the audience, and uh, it wasn't, it was coordinated clearly, but it wasn't a singular message. It was things like, um, why, you know, why are you, why don't you protect people who are sexually harassed? Uh, another protester yelled out, all you have is tiny hands. They yelled out a few times. <laughs> 
but he was very president. He didn't yell. He didn't get him out. He didn't do none of that. He said he stuck to the teleprompter. He thanked everyone and sort of watched the people get dragged out. But but it was more than 12 times that he was interrupted during the speech. And that was really significant. The first couple times I was like, oh, well, you know, that's that's sort of uh, par for the course. But but it was something really noticeable mm -hmm. about the speech and really um, unique it felt like for for a major announcement like yes i think someone yelled he didn't write it uh, because oh, he didn't write he it he didn't write it i mean he read i'm pretty there sure he go. read off a teleprompter it was definitely a teleprompter it was, pre it was prepared for him by oh, someone else and he just read the words because that's that and that's a big question will he actually do that because he's changed his opinions multiple times in this just in the past few months who are his advisors that's a good well, question yeah you, you saw he just came out with a list of 13 <laughs> economic advisors almost half of them i'm not kidding named steve yeah um, <laughs> named but, steve yeah is, statistically is that right unbelievable to be half of them named steve fairly random yeah but but uh almost, i think all of them are donors as well uh, they're, they're, they're certainly donors and supporters but they're also very very rich um so he you know what he came out with today, I mean, it was actually a fairly, it's not out of line with what the Republican Party has been uh, talking about for years, you know? Less taxes, that, less spending. And that's been the hope of, you always wonder like, why is Mitch McConnell still standing by him? Why is Paul Ryan still standing by him? Why are these people still going through with this and this, this agony that I'm sure they're having in their own offices behind closed doors? Uh, because for, especially for Mitch McConnell, he's starting to see the Senate potentially slip away from him and there's nothing he can really do about it right. at this point. Um, and so you wonder like, why do they keep on doing this? And I feel like there's still this hope that, you know, if he were to win the election, they would be able to kind of just kind of force the message, force the policies upon him, and he just kind of sign them in the law and not have to worry about it. But time and time again, it just... Yeah, because you can tell him what to do. Right. It just doesn't yeah, seem that's that's like play. that's... His past behavior doesn't seem like that's a possibility anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe at the very beginning, maybe that was a possibility to kind of think that. But now, I just don't see... I, I, I think that they should focus all their resources onto the Senate, onto the House, onto the governor races, onto the state legislature races, uh, because there's a real, if he actually is competitive in places like South Carolina and Georgia and Arizona, that's a, that's a, that's a scary state for the Republican Party, national, the National Republican Party. Oh, we, we did a story earlier this week um, over at KPIX5, available on the internet. <laughs> uh, no, we, we actually went through and called all the California Republican Congress people and said, are you endorsing Donald Trump? And uh, a number of them said yes. And a lot of people in the safe Republican seats said yes. But, um, but three of them said no. Well, three of them, one of them said no, and two of them said, I refuse to discuss this. <laughs> As if this is like a thing that they can just ignore until, oh, well, just, I'll just, I'm just going to keep ducking it. I'm just yeah. going to pull the shades. <laughs> I'm going to turn my phone off. Like, we're good. Um, and, you know, they're all up for re-election this year. But the sort of the, the closer you get, the, the more, the swingier the district, um, the more reluctant the, uh, the congressperson is. So it was Jeff Denham uh, and also Steve Knight were the two that just sort of said, uh, pass. 
<laughs> um, and uh, and Valadeo actually oh, yeah. has said he, he's in a majority Democrat district, slightly majority Democrat district. Um, said that he would not be voting for Donald Trump. So so people are already sort of yeah. getting the message down the ballot. And this isn't unprecedented to kind of just give up on the, the top the top of the ballot and focus in on saving you know saving the seats that you need to save. Running a let's run a you know, this be the check on X and X president. Uh, the Republicans did it to Bob Dole in 1996 uh, for Clinton's mm -hmm. reelection. Uh, they they saw the writing on the wall. They saw that this wasn't happening. And Bob Dole is a fairly respectable person. I mean, yeah, and a, a and a fairly unlike respectable who? unlike the current <laughs> uh, Republican nominee. Uh, even though Bob Dole has endorsed him, Donald Trump has a file on yeah. you right now. I know he does. he does. He does. He just needs to look at my Twitter. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's not unprecedented. So. It is possible, and they did. They ran in every single competitive Senate race, every single competitive House race, even the governor's races. Uh, let's just be a check on the second Clinton administration. Well, remember, too, in California, because there's no, um, there's no Republican on the Senate uh, yeah. ballot, basically. So the one statewide race, the one really high-profile race, there's no, there's no Republican in it. Um, to the extent that Republicans stay home because of Donald Trump and because there's no mm -hmm. nothing for them on the Senate ballot, uh, there's those 17 ballot propositions. Um, this is, you know, the headline here is you know, how Donald Trump could end the death penalty in California, right? So, if, you yeah. know, Republicans stay home. We've got things like the death penalty on the ballot. There's government government reform uh, on the ballot, marijuana legalization. I mean, the impact of that mm -hmm. down ballot goes beyond, at least in California, goes sort of well beyond the congressional races or Senate race and, and, and really hits us in a lot of major policy decisions. And Sacramento, I mean, the... Democrats only need three seats uh, to win back the supermajority in the in the uh, assembly. Uh, just need one seat to win back the supermajority in the state senate. Uh, so at which point then Democrats control every single lever without really even need to consult any Republican uh, in Sacramento. So it really changes the calculus a lot. So I'm actually quite surprised that the Republican Party here in California isn't more actively trying to just kind of give up on the presidential stuff himself. and just try to drive the, the message home that you need to vote for these assembly people, you need to vote for these state senators, uh, you need to vote for the con uh, congressional delegation because um, especially at the state level, there's some serious consequences. Okay, so we have a, a couple questions from the audience that are related. One is, will Trump quit? Someone asks, uh, could Republicans still replace Donald Trump? And then they have another question on here saying, was Bill Clinton medicated? <laughs> Let, let's deal with the Trump question. Um, yeah, that's good. Is, is any of that serious? I mean, there has been renewed talk about Trump, you know, talking about it being a rigged election. Is he trying to use that as an excuse to go back to uh, going bankrupt with casinos? Well, the, the funny thing is he's not impervious to all this. He did endorse Ryan. He did endorse McCain. He realized that was a mistake. It was one of those things. The question I have is, why did they take Melissa's hairspray and not his? I, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> security is rigged. The whole thing is rigged. <laughs> well, to, to answer the question, uh, I don't think he'll quit. I think he's really loving, he's loving it. like yeah. the yeah. stadium's full of people chanting his name. Like, why would you stop? Um, could the Republican Party remove him? Yes. There is a Rule 12 in the Republican Party rules, and it says, um, you know, if a person is removed uh, as the uh, as the nominee, and I, again, I'm, I don't have it right in front of me, but it basically says by virtue of, like, death or disease or quitting or otherwise, right? So they, or otherwise, sort of is the little door, the tiny little door through which you might be able to uh, to create a, a, a an excuse or a, a way to remove him. Um, then you would have to convene the delegates again. 
basically to vote on a new uh, a new uh, presidential nominee. But that could be done on like Skype, right? You don't mm-hmm. have to get together. I hope they do. I would totally go. Um, <laughs> I would really, they could charge me. I would literally give anything to go. Um, so, uh, but you'd have to convene them again. And again, it could be virtual um, to, to vote on a new uh, nominee if that were the case. And people right now are pushing Mike Pence because they say, well, at least, um, you know, it wouldn't like, like a total, um, you know, screw you to the 14 million people who voted for Donald Trump. At least he picked the VP and we're kind of sticking with this guy. So um, so that's that's the scuttlebutt. But, but from a sort of technical perspective, the or otherwise part of that rule is the way that at least uh, some scholars are uh, have, have said that, that that they could remove Donald Trump. Now, that that actually probably would cause some trouble, though, with the Trump people. A L- little bit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's not going to go out and saying, hey, everything's fine. I just want more time with my family. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, and I guess what I'm seriously getting to is that, I mean, there is a republic, a, a civil war that kind of needs to be fought in mm-hmm. that party. Cause they, yeah. they do have a divergence there among uh, major fundamental policies and and. If they you could know, do it Democrats without breaking anything else, and, that would yeah, be awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, they, they, <laughs> the Republican Party needs to own what they've done. I mean, yeah. it, they've really the, the establishment for a long time, it, it, even slightly before Indiana, where kind of the, everyone else, the Kasich and Cruz, dropped out. Um, the, the, the RNC was kind of blocking and tackling for him, um, kind of just brushing things aside. And then it, since Indiana, I mean, it's just been it, they, they own it now. They own the Trump phenomena and um what for better or worse so you can't have it one way and not the other right um and no that there do needs to be an argument there does need to be something figured out here because the republican party can't continue with such a such a divergence and this divergence is much worse than what you saw with the tea party versus the establishment and i and i know john is supposed to ask the questions but i'd like to ask a question to you which was immediately when when trump criticized the Khan family Mike Pence came out, his vice presidential <laughs> nominee came out and said just the opposite. Yeah. And what do you make of that? Is that is that a sop to the GOP establishment? I think it's that Mike Pence is. You know, I disagree with his policies, but he's actually a fairly decent guy and respects the military, respects veterans, um, and was probably quite appalled by that. Um, and he doesn't want to be associated with stuff like that. Right, so he's right. trying to kind of distance himself a little bit, too, because he kind of probably sees where things are heading. Hoping um, to have a career after yes, this. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, which makes you think, what was his internal polling for his Indiana governor re-election race that he decided to accept uh, Trump's <laughs> VP nomination? Uh, but no, there really needs to be that his discussion. His favorabilities were not high. No, they weren't. Yeah. But they must have been really bad. <laughs> Uh, so there needs to be that discussion, and it's gonna have to happen. I mean, because you can't have this this entire election season, and then say, "Oh, but don't worry, that was just that was just a blip," because it's a it's a serious divide. Um, someone asks about Bernie Sanders. Where where what's happened to him? Uh, when he shows up again, what will he do in this campaign? What's his role? Do you think? Well, he's changed the campaign, hasn't he? I mean, he's changed it. it I'll steal Melissa's line. She said it earlier, but it's funny how the uh, Trump people and the Bernie Sanders people are, off, are actually very much alike, right? It's an outsider group that is upset. They want things changed. They, they have a firm belief that America can be a better place, and they have an idea of what, what it should be. Mm-hmm. But it's odd that we have someone who is so progressive and we have someone who is so conservative, and yet they're kind of meeting in the middle. I've said it multiple times on the stage that Bernie Sanders got into the race not expecting to get 
as much support as yeah. he actually ended up getting. Um, and but to really ensure that Clinton tacked to the left, that on the issues that he really cared about, inequality, education, the true kind of heart of the, the, the democratic socialism movement, the progressive movement, that those issues were aired and that forced her not to start to triangulate too early in the season, that he wanted to make sure that she staked out her ground so firmly off to that left that she couldn't wiggle back to the center mm -hmm. um, until maybe a re-election campaign. Well, uh, until day three and four of, of the convention when she filled the stage right. with generals. That's very true. But I mean, it, she's, she's also, I mean, but that's less so on the economic issues that he really cares about. He really wasn't running a foreign policy campaign. He was running a very domestic, almost entirely economic campaign. And he has succeeded in that. She, it's, it's, it'll be very hard for her to try to tack to the center on the economics issues, um, even with the kind of the, the Trump stuff happening off to the side, um, until she's at least in office. And then she can kind of start to do that if she wants to, which is a possibility, but who knows. Uh, so I talked to some of the, the Bernie folks. So remember Bernie Sanders spoke on Monday night. Uh, no one remembers it because Michelle Obama also spoke and was so amazing. But uh, but but Bernie Sanders spoke on Monday night, and so so Tuesday morning, um, he goes to the California delegation breakfast where he is promptly booed uh, by the California by Bernie Sanders supporters in the California delegation. Bernie Sanders was not Bernie enough for the Bernie supporters. <laughs> yeah, so so that night they come in and we're like, all right, Bernie says, get on board. Are you on board? No. No, no, no. They literally the quote was, uh, "You you asked for a revolution, well, you got one." He has let some. He's let a genie out of the bottle that he cannot put back in. And so while he may be going around saying, "No, no, we all got to get get together behind Hillary Clinton," that does work for a lot of his supporters. I mean, polls show that you know what, seventy percent or 90 more now. Um, uh, uh, Bernie supporters are gonna support her. But there is a a, a group, at least, of folks who are very vocal who. Uh, say you know we uh, we stick by Bernie Sanders' ideals even if even if he doesn't. So um, so it, it was it was really um, crazy. It was a really crazy thing to see him saying no 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 everyone get behind Hillary and his folks with like Bernie Sanders pins and hats and sweaters and like pom poms being like absolutely not you know. So um, it was uh, it, to some degree and for some folks he really unleashed something that he can't totally control. I think the million dollar question is I think for. Those individuals too. Do they come? Actually, do they vote at the end of the day? Um, not they just for president, um, but do they actually try to make a, re a revolution out of it and vote for the congressional candidates and the you know, the state legislative candidates? Um, because that's really where that sort of movement can make a very very large impact at those down ballot races. And historically, they are the people that don't really turn out to vote. So it's a, that's a big kind of curveball question that I don't think anyone can answer until after the election. And those down ballot uh, officials are going to be on the state level, especially they're going to be the ones determining gerrymandering in 2020. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that will have a bigger impact on whoever's president after 2020 than, uh, um, some of the other things. Listen, we've got a number of questions on, a, uh, uh, related issue, which is third parties, Jill Stein, uh, Bill Weld, uh, um, Gary Johnson, um, what are your thoughts on their impact on the race, uh, their prospects? Someone actually also asked, well, the Commonwealth Club, is the Commonwealth Club planning to host Jill Stein or Gary Johnson? We've got invites out to all the candidates. We'd love to have them here. Um, if you know them, put in a good word for us. <laughs> but uh, any, any thoughts on uh, the Libertarian Party and the Green Party this year? I, I'm amazed. So there's now, 
behind the scenes, there's been an effort by some DC Republicans to try to find an independent candidate to run um, as the kind of the never Trump, anti-Trump Republican. They, you know, they started with the heavy, heavy hitters, Mitt Romney, the, the, they try to get Cruz a little bit, they try to get John Kasich sometimes. Um, then they went to this guy named David French, who work, uh, writes for the National Review. Uh, Review. Um, again, who's, who's ever heard of David French? Hands, anyone? Mrs. French. Yeah, no. So that one didn't work out so well. Um, <laughs> Did you say Mrs. French? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, now they've finally landed someone. Uh, as of today, he announced he's actually going to do it. His name is, let me <laughs> go to my notes, because... His name is was, Kamikaze. It was the first time I ever heard his name before. Uh, Evan McMullen. And again, raise your hands. Anyone ever heard of Evan McMullen? Oh, look, we got some. <laughs> That's really As impressive. of today, because you guys yeah. read the paper today. Yeah. So Evan McMullen is a former CIA uh, operative. Uh, he is, um, right? Um, and, but most recently, he was the uh, policy director for the House Republican Caucus. And so they think they finally nailed the guy uh, that can run as the, the anti-Trump. My question is, there is a ticket already out there that has two two-term Republican governors on it. The libertarian ticket. It, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld are both rather successful Republican governors of New Mexico and, and Massachusetts, respectively. Why haven't these anti-Trump forces in D.C. really kind of just kicked up the gears, gone fundraising you know, balooza for them, really started to throw their support be, be, between, be behind these two guys uh, that are, until very recently, former Republicans, or were Republicans, um, and held office as because Republicans. Because they're socially liberal. I know. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing. They're willing to go with a guy who, who knows what his opinions are on social issues, let alone any other issue. Um, but yet they're not willing to go with, with these guys, um, which is kind of crazy. I think so much crazy. of the Never Trump movement is the evangelicals who are with Ted Cruz, who are still having trouble reconciling themselves with Donald Trump. And those guys are never going to go for maybe, a, a Gary Johnson maybe. with his, you know, marijuana, drug legalization and like pro-choice and pro, you know, pro you know, same-sex marriage. I mean, I think that's still a hard sell for those guys. Well, and even the other side, I mean, even the Democratic side, as Bernie Sanders went from Bernie Sanders to Bernie Man, he became this uh, this icon. Yeah. And you would think that the Green Party, someone would pick up the slack here, jump in the, right. jump in the race, and it hasn't happened. It's, no. it's so personality-driven. The big question for Johnson and the Johnson well ticket is, can they double their support in the polls to 15% to get into the national, uh, the three debates, the, the three presidential debates and the vice president debate? Uh, they're right now in the RCP average around 8.5%. Um, they were around 5 or 4.5% in June, so they are ticking upward, but it doesn't seem like fast enough. Stein is at three or four percent. She's. she's I don't not. think she's going to make no. it. It's, but the libertarian ticket. But they could. could. They they theoretically could. Uh, we were just saying. Um, so they um, the libertarian ticket and also the Green Party ticket sued the Commission on Presidential Debates to try to get on the stage for the debates. Um, they sued them back in September when this sort of initial debate schedule was announced. Um, and literally on Friday, uh, a federal court in Washington D.C. tossed out the lawsuit. So, so it is rigged. So it is definitely <laughs> rigged. <laughs> Justice rigged McRiggerson <laughs> tossed out the lawsuit. Uh, and so so their only hope to to Carson's point is to get to the threshold that yeah. they need to get that 15% threshold to get in and, and be on the stage. But they are creeping up. I mean, depending on who you're listening to, it's eight eight to ten, you know, and, and it, it creeps up 
all the time mm-hmm. for Republicans who can't really uh, stomach Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. So it could be a, it could be a serious issue. Republicans there are a number named Carson. Right. Yes, well, yeah. one, uh, of, yeah. one of them. <laughs> well, um, and you might even see a Donald Trump, for example. He uh, has tended in the past to prefer, it seems, stages with more folks on it, right? So you might even see him pushing for having the libertarian on the stage and having uh, Jill Stein on the stage just because he uh, he seems more comfortable uh, with more candidates uh, on the stage and maybe not as, as comfortable with a one-on-one, yeah. um, given sort of what we've seen with him trying to raise initial objections to to the debates as they stand. So you could actually see a coalesce, but that would mean Trump would be saying, yes, let's bring everybody on stage, but he also have the support of the Green Party folks and the uh, Libertarian folks saying, yes, let's have everybody. And that could be a very powerful uh, very powerful thing that could maybe um, maybe hold some sway. Yeah. What's, what is interesting in some of the polls, the Gary, uh, the Gary Johnson and Bill Weld ticket is actually beating Trump amongst the millennial age group. Mm-hmm. Um, in some polls, they come in second and Trump's in fourth. Um, so, I mean, it really goes to kind of show you that Republican Party potentially could be losing a... I mean, they've lost a lot of the millennials already, um, but they could really be losing a, a generation of voters uh, well, for quite some time. Yeah, and that's the case that uh, Margaret Hoover, the great-granddaughter, yes. great-great-granddaughter, yes. I forget which, of Herbert Hoover. Grand, great-granddaughter, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Who was a Commonwealth Club member, just throwing that out there. But yeah, she's been making that argument that the Republicans have, are, are totally misfiring with the millennials and mm-hmm. exactly what you just said. The, they could be losing an entire generation there. Let's turn to the state capital, Sacramento. A um, couple things I wanted to get into. One, Jerry Brown, governor of the state, um, had some trouble getting through uh, the legislature, his climate change issues or uh, plans. Uh, we know it's a big issue for him. Um, what happened, Carson, and what is he going to do next? Yeah. Well, I think the, we have to go back to 2006 under Schwarzenegger to kind of really kind of frame the whole, the whole story. Uh, so in 2006, AB 32, the signature climate change um, legislation was passed that uh, charged the Air Resources Board to develop a system by which that they can use market mechanisms to uh, try to control and reduce um, carbon, di- carbon dioxide and greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, that created ca- cap and trade. Since then, business interests and a bunch of other individuals um, and, and organizations have been trying to figure out a way to kind of stop AB 32 uh, from either going into effect full time or cutting it off at a certain date. Uh, and right now, there is a, a, a lawsuit that is trying to say after 2020, AB 32 is no longer in effect. Um, so there's, there's, no, there's nothing the state can do to try to continue the cap and trade uh, program or something like the cap and trade program. Uh, so to try to preempt this, uh, last year, Fra- uh, Fran Pavley, uh, a state senator from the Ventura County area, who was the author of AB 32, introduced SB 32, uh, which was kind of the AB 32 on steroids. It was an idea to extend the deadline out to 2030, I believe, um, and an increase the, um, the reduction level, so 40% of 1990 levels versus, I believe it's 30% under AB 32. Um, that went nowhere. The mod Dems in the uh, state assembly killed it uh, and said, nope, sorry, better luck next time. So she brought it back this year to try to kind of get through again, uh, thinking again, election year, the Democrats might be a little bit more onto it. Governor Brown has made climate change a huge, huge issue uh, for the, re- the remaining part of his, uh, his term in office. It's now become a national issue. Uh, so there may be like, maybe we can do it this time. Um, it seems to not to really be going anywhere again. So what J- Jerry Brown did on, uh, I believe it was Friday, 
he started it, he opened up a campaign um, organization for a ballot measure that would put a ballot measure identically to the piece of legislation onto the ballot in 2018 and told the legislators, hey, if you don't do this by, by the deadline, I'm putting my ballot on and I'm gonna use my $20 million uh, that I have in my bank accounts uh, to force this onto the, uh, onto the ballot, qualified onto the ballot, and then uh, get it passed by the voters. Um, so we'll see if that kind of catches the mod Dems a little bit by surprise. Mod I, Dems, moderate Democrats. Moderate Democrats, <laughs> mod usually Dems. the ones, kind of the, the, the moderate Democrats who typically uh, represent the Central Valley portion, uh, which are a little bit skittish about the, the environmental cl climate change laws because it tends to increase electricity prices and gas prices, and they don't like to do that for their constituents uh, because those are, tend to be the poor areas of, uh, of the state. Um, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work because now the moderate Democrats don't have to vote on anything. They can say, well, just let the voters decide. It's kind of what, what Jerry Brown did uh, with Prop, uh, Prop 30. He's like, I'm not going to pass new taxes. I'm not going to push for new taxes. I'm going to let the voters decide and let them increase their own taxes. Uh, and they did. Um, and now he can say, well, I've, I've never really asked for new taxes. You, you guys voted to, to pass new taxes. Um, so I don't think it's going to work uh, for the legislative side. But I think it's a brilliant move on his part because now he's barely, basically guaranteed that the law will become law. And if you were here last time I was on stage, I did a, did a sure? rant. I am, I am. Do you think that it'll pass? I absolutely think it'll pass. Even despite the fact that most of the money is going to pay for the despicable high-speed rail program? I, I still that think. That people hate? I mean, all you have to do is like, this is funding high-speed rail. I don't think people are going to make the connection. And I, by I that think point, the opponents will definitely make the connection. My big question is, will the opponents have the money to combat Jerry Brown's, he already has 20 million in bank accounts uh, for that he can campaign funnel. Accounts. Campaign, campaign accounts. Campaign accounts. not Jerry Brown's yeah. person, all yeah. Wells Fargo Campaign accounts, accounts <laughs> that he can funnel into these. This is these. like leftover stuff that people have given him for campaigns. And he's going to use some of it for the parole measure that he qualified for the ballot this, uh, this, this election. But he, he has so much money that it's going to be very hard, even if the Chamber of Commerce decides to oppose it and puts money into it, uh, it's gonna be very hard for them to try to out, outspend him. I, I honestly believe that. Mm. And environmental issues are a, a, are a very strong uh, voter issue in the state of California. And at the end of the day, what the Bay Area and LA do, that, that determines uh, most ballot measures, uh, to be honest. The Central Valley can vote one way and the rest of the state can vote the other yeah. way and they just get crushed because the population centers are just here. So what's gonna happen with marijuana? Whew, that's a good question. I think it's 50 People are going to keep growing Short -term it. Short-term memory loss right there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you think about it, go back to 2010. Everyone's like, oh, this is going to pass. It's California. It's California. It's yeah, going to yeah, pass. Yeah. Yep. And it didn't. Um, and by a, a wider margin that I was even, I didn't think it was going to pass because it was a very poorly written measure. And I think a lot of people understood that. Um, and I'm thank, not sure this one isn't. Thank God. It isn't. No, it is poorly written. Yeah, it is, I mean. it's like, equally, I don't know that we have fixed that. Issue. It's equally as poorly written. The question is, will the opposition really focus in on that? Um, or will they try to go another route? I haven't, I haven't really seen how the campaigns are really trying to angle themselves quite yet. The campaign really hasn't ramped up too, too much. Um, also, though, this one is much better funded, though. The, pro, the yes side is much better funded than it was in 2010. Um, so that definitely helps the yes side. The question is, um, do the voters really take the time to look at what the measure actually says and does? 
Um, and uh, again, I was on the stage previously talking about how inflexible our proposition system is. Um, so you have to be really, really careful. And this one encodes in the proposition tax rates, tax levels, a lot of things that would be very, very difficult for the legislature to try to fix, although it does give the escape valve for the legislature. It does allow the legislature to amend but very high thresholds that they, they have to get the votes to mend. So it's, it's problematic. Um, so I think it's 50-50 it's at this point, to be honest. Well, let's uh, briefly uh, talk about another California issue, our US Senate race, the race to replace Barbara Boxer, succeed Barbara Boxer. Um, will they debate? What do you think, <laughs> Melissa? Well, so on Friday, uh, Sean Clegg, who is a consultant to Kamala Harris, tweeted um, that she was going, he had breaking news, Kamala Harris is going to do two debates with Loretta Sanchez, one in Sacramento and one in LA. And of course, um, sort of shortly thereafter, uh, the Sanchez campaign uh, spokesman or one of, their, one of her consultants sort of sends out a statement saying, we need more debates after you know we haven't had a new senate we haven't had a senator you know a new senator since like 1992 and we deserve more debates and we deserve them in places that aren't sacramento and la right what about central valley for example and then um mr clegg fired back that uh basically we had two primary two debates before the primary and now we're having you know we're proposing sort of two more and if your candidate can't make her case in four debates well then i don't know what to tell you uh that's i'm paraphrasing uh so uh now when you're in the senate you you don't you, you have to agree to, to have these debates. I mean, the, the Senate campaign is different from the presidential campaign. There's no commission on Senate debates that sort of sets this stuff up for you. You actually have to sort of mutually agree. So look, if they want two, then two is gonna be it. Um, um, but the, the, the question though is sort of, is how much of an issue is Sanchez gonna make about this? Remember Bernie Sanders made a big stink about how Hillary Clinton was refusing to have additional debates and she was having them at inopportune times or times that were going against other popular things. Um, you know, will Sanchez make this sort of a, a hallmark of her debate is already, uh, you know, some, some reservation about, you know, Kamala Harris, is she so buttoned up? Is she so controlled? Um, we'd like to see more of her. We'd like to kind of get to know her better. Still, even literally last month, the PPIC, the Public um, Policy Institute of California, did a poll, and it showed that like 20, I think it was like 23% of the voters are undecided in this race, right? So there is a need for more information. Um, but, uh, you know, for Kamala's, from her perspective, you know, she can only screw up at a debate, right? She, she's already way ahead. Of the folks who know who they're voting for, she's really way ahead. So it's sort of, why would I do that? Um, so there, you might hear a lot more from the Sanchez campaign sort of banging the drum. We want to hear more from this person. We, you know, we demand that you talk more about your positions on various issues versus Kamala Harris, who's going to say two is plenty um, for U.S. Senate seat and that, uh, you know, that's, that's all I plan to do. And it, it would take Kamala to agree to a secondary debate. Again, there's there's no presidential debate commission that sort of sets those up. Okay. Uh, let's try to briefly handle a bunch of questions here. Of late, Hillary Clinton's mental and physical health is being discussed on the right. What say you? <laughs> she looks fine to me. By whom? <laughs> Donald Trump accused her of being mentally unfit. Well, I remember there was well. a California Congresswoman Karen Bass, who, uh, who is 
now, I think it's on change.org, she has called for a mental evaluation of Donald Trump. It has <laughs> over 200,000 signatures at last check. <laughs> she, she announced this new petition on Twitter by listing all the, the I think there's something like 21 uh, elements of the diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. So Twitter, she just starts tweeting one of 20, like never apologizes lies unnecessarily like just sort of does this whole thing and announces the thing so uh anyway that's that's our california congresswoman uh and uh uh you google it if you want to sign it i don't really know i, I think it's change.org so uh on the issue of mental fitness we've at least got some call okay right um what well someone asked about uh the whole issue of whether donald trump should release his tax returns who raise your hand do you think he should Obviously, a very controversial. You're, you're, yeah. I can't even tell. It's so close here. Uh, For those of you listening, um, it was almost unanimous. Uh, should, should that be mandatory by law, or is just as custom? Yeah, it should think? be. Yeah, it seems like it almost is. I mean, it's everybody. Everybody basically does it. Yeah. Why not formalize it and just say that's that's Especially the case? Because the financial reports that they have to file with the FEC are so. Yeah broad. I mean, the, the categories are so broad and then it's so vague that it's really impossible to kind of get a sense of where not only it's not about how much money are you making or not making. It's really the conflict of interest mm -hmm. component that really is the biggest concern. Yeah. Um, what where, where did the candidates have in financial interests? Where, where did your rubles come from? In? Yes. You mean like, for right, example, exactly. For example, are you invested if, in Russia? If somebody if somebody gave a speech in front of a bunch of like corporate uh, donors and they didn't release the text of the speech, something like that would be good. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would hate to see that happen. But. I would hate to read that, that, that transcript, because I bet it's the most boring transcript okay, yeah, I think you're right. possibly imagine. I think you're right. Uh, well, you know, when Warren Buffett spoke in favor and endorsed Hillary Clinton the other day, he said, look, I've been under audit. I'm under audit right now, and I'll release my tax returns. And, yeah. and that's, yeah. you know, it brings up this issue of, you know, is this excuse of being under audit uh, legitimate? And again, according to at least Buffett, you know, I've never been audited. You hear that? You know why? Because I'm totally clean. Um, but I just mean, like, I don't know. From a legal, even as an attorney, I'm not as familiar with, with how that works. But, but it seems like his sort of excuse that he's under this audit so he can't doesn't really hold up when you have some folks who say, I am or have been audited, and it doesn't really pre pre prevent you. And look, when you, when you make the decision to run for public office, it's public office. So every, for better or worse, everything is really kind of out there in the open at that point. No one is forcing you to run for any office. Um, so it's really a decision that you have to make, and you have to really think about these things. How is it going to affect my family, my kids, my wife, and then also the financial interests that you, you do have? Okay, one last question before we go to our news quiz. Someone wants you to look into your crystal balls and say, who do you think will win the governor's race in 2018? Ooh. John Carson. Chung. First, I, first wait, I object wait, wait. to the term crystal balls. Okay. And second of all, <laughs> Gavin Newsom. Oh, wow. Melissa? Uh, if I had to guess, I would say John Chung. Yeah, John Chung, definitely. <laughs> Okay. He is the host. Or, or sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's his campaign slogan, by <laughs> the way. Who is John Chung? He is the, is the campaign slogan. Yeah. He's, he's the, the current he's state treasurer, okay. uh, former state uh, controller, sat on the Board of Equalization for quite some time. I, I guess two terms, because that's what you're allowed. Uh, but he raised a boatload of money in a very short amount of time, more so than uh, Gavin Newsom. Uh, he has consistently been the top vote getter. 
um, of the, the down-ballot Democratic statewide candidates. Um, he is, uh, he's been positioning himself to kind of be that, that voice of fiscal prudence and responsibility uh, that I think could really resonate quite well with the state. And here's what you need to remember about John Chung. When he was state, when he was the state controller, he was the person who was famous for stop, for he's cut off the salaries of the state legislators when they when they couldn't pass a budget and he got into this huge fight and he was like nope turn it off the spigot uh and and, and even democrats were like yeah <laughs> so uh Oh yeah, he paid. Yes, he paid. Of course, the public employee. Yeah, exactly. He made he made sure that public employees got paid. But I think uh, during that time, once he stopped paying the senators and assembly people, I think a lot of people just like a lot of people's hearts for John but, kind of grew. But what does his hair look like? It's he actually it's not bad. Maybe he can win. It's not bad. Okay. Well, you figure it's not bad. possible. He's, he's got greater name recognition than this third. This. Republican, who I'll bet you don't even remember the guy's name. Evan McCollin. McCollin. Oh. McCollin. <laughs> there we go. Thanks to our panel, Chuck Nevius, Melissa Kane, Carson Bruno. Thank Thanks to all of you for coming out tonight, everyone listening and watching online. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week-to-week -week presentation of a recent Commonwealth Club program. I'm John Zipperer, host of Week to Week, and I invite you to find us online at commonwealthclub.org and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in, in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. It's important to have a place where you know you can feel comfortable about yourself, you can feel loved, and you can feel welcomed by everybody. And I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create. And, and that's the message that, that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui, is that you know we're not just an experience on Maui, we're an experience of Maui. When you think back years ago, how closeted we used to be, and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now. And, and it's, it's a good progression for society. It's good that people are, are not just you know, tolerating, but appreciating diversity. And that's the message, is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity. I think that whoever you are, follow your passion. Follow what you believe in. Follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know, some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do.
Spotlight on Success and Achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boys came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders.